y'all heard them yet. The bell ringers, the bell ringers out in front of the stores for the Salvation Army. I love the bell ringers. The bell ringers are great. They remind us. It's a wake-up call, sort of like uh, Paul tells us in our scripture reading today. It's a wake-up call for us. It's a wake-up call to share the blessings that we have. It's a wake-up call for the goodness of God. It's a wake-up call for us to act like we ought to act like disciples of Jesus when we hear the bell ringers out there. You know, the Salvation Army is a great thing. The Salvation Army is 141 years old this year. It actually got the name, the Salvation Army, in 1878. For a few years before that, William Booth, who was what? He was a Methodist preacher, right? It's a good thing to look around sometime. It's a good drill to see how many Good things were started by Methodists. And one of them, of course, one of the best things I think that was ever started was the Salvation Army. He had gotten together with some people a few years before that, but they actually started it using the term Salvation Army in 1878. William Booth thought it was a good idea to go out and share the gospel with people who probably wouldn't otherwise hear it people who weren't sitting in churches and, and, and places like that. So he went out and talked to the prisoners. He went out and talked to homeless people. He went out and talked to prostitutes. He went out and talked to drunkards. He went out and talked to those people and shared the good news with them. A wonderful, wonderful thing, kind of like what Jesus did, I think. But anyway, he called a lot of people to wake up. There was one period of time between 1881 and 1885, a four-year period, a four-year period where William Booth and his group got 250,000 people to come to the Lord wow. in four years. That's pretty good. You know, that's better than, uh, than some of the things that are going on today. And think about it. They didn't even have Facebook, wow. but he did it. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Paul's epistle to the to the church at Rome, the 13th chapter, verses 11 through 14. Consider the word of the Lord. Besides this, you know what time it is, how it is now the moment for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first became believers. The night is far gone, the day is near. Let us then lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us live honorably as in the day and not reveling in drunkenness, not in debauchery and licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. The word of the Lord the people of the Lord. Please be in prayer with me and for me. Gracious and loving God, creator of heaven and earth, creator of all that is around us, giver of life and all blessings. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our strength and our salvation. Amen. Well, again, today's the first Sunday of Advent. Advent comes from a Latin word, 
Adventus, which just means coming. So we are we're starting Advent, which is to celebrate the coming of the Lord, which of course culminates on the 24th when we when we have our really when we have our candlelight service. We're celebrating the coming of the Lord the first time. It's not exactly what Paul's talking about here. Paul's talking about here the coming of the Lord the second time, which we as Christians all believe will happen. And the thing about it is, as Paul really clearly alludes to in, in these few verses, is that nobody knows when it's going to be. Nobody knows when it's going to be. What we do know is it's sooner now than it was yesterday. We all know that. That's for certain. However long things go on as they are, it'll be sooner each minute that clicks by. Of course, Paul isn't really talking about chronological time here like minutes ticking by. He's talking about God's time. And of course, God doesn't wear a wristwatch or look at his cell phone to see what time it is. God is eternal. He goes on. So Paul says what? He says, what time is it? It's time to wake up. Wake up to rise and shine. Let your good works be seen by others so that God may be glorified. Now, all of the verbs that Paul uses in this passage and the wake up, it's not like most, I think, well, maybe, I don't know if it's most or not. I haven't taken a survey. I don't know about y'all, but I, I generally wake up in the morning, right? Whenever, whenever my biological clock goes off, when it's time for me to wake up, my eyeballs pop open and, uh, and I'm awake. What the words that Paul uses here is somebody else waking you up. He's saying, you know, waking you up and all these verbs are plural. They're not addressed to an individual. They're addressed to the community, to the church, which is when he, when he talks about jealousy and quarreling, he says, get rid of those things. Why? Because they're destructive to community. But he says it's time to wake up. What have you all been waking up to lately? There's, there, there are any number of things going on around us that we can wake up to besides the ringing of the bells by the bell ringers and the other signs of Advent that we have here as we anticipate Christmas. But I want to tell you about one that happened during William Booth's life back there. You know, people are always coming up with different types of snake oil, right? Turn, turn on the radio or the TV. There, 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 there are any number of solutions for any number of problems. Well, there was a professor back in England, contemporary to General Booth, who wrote a book. And in this book, he said he could recognize a potential criminal by looking at the shape of their ear. Now, lest you want to laugh, think about some of the things that have gone on and are going on right now. I would argue that some of them aren't much sillier than saying that you could figure out if somebody was going to be a criminal by looking at the shape of their ear. I'll give you, for instance, diet books, right? Or diets, right? 
I mean, this, this is an apropos time to talk about this because I imagine there are more than one of you out there that have put on a pound or two since Wednesday, right? But we won't go there, but it's, 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 it's a good illustration because I don't care if you were born five years ago or 95 years ago, it would probably be a pretty high number if you counted up from your date of birth all the different diets or books on diets that had been introduced. And it's not a complicated issue, is it? Truly, when, when, when we get right down to it, all you have to do is not eat more, more of calories than you burn. And everybody knows that. You probably learned it in eighth grade earth science if it, if it took that long to learn it. But we still, it is a multi-billion dollar industry to teach people how not to be overweight and to write all sorts of books. Well, anyway, this character writes this book and says that he could tell a potential criminal by looking at the shape of their ear. So somebody in one of the prominent London newspapers, that's back when people still read newspapers, somebody in one of the prominent newspapers sent a reporter over. They said, you know what? Probably one of the best people on earth to ask about human behavior and those sorts, these sorts of things is William Booth because William Booth deals with all sorts of people, right, and his vocation from time to time. So this reporter goes to William Booth and he says, do you believe there is such a thing as a criminal ear? And William Booth, wise man that he was, laughs at the newspaper report. He laughs out loud and he says, of course, and every one of us has it. He says, if it weren't for the grace of God, most of us would be doing time, right? So General Booth understood. General Booth understood what Paul was alluding to, that it's time to wake up and get about the business of doing the things that we should do. What do we do? after we get up. We put on our clothes, right? That's usually what we do after we get up. Or shortly thereafter, most of us, unless you're sleeping in your clothes, and, uh, and that's another sermon, but most of us, shortly after we get up, we put on our clothes. Now, Paul tells us here in this particular passage how we should be clothed, right? He says we should be clothed with Christ. We should be clothed with Christ. Now, are there any instructions in the New Testament about how to green the church? Are there any instructions in the New Testament about how long a sermon should be? Are there any instructions in the New Testament about what songs we should sing or what kind of music we should have in worship? Are there any instructions about how the candles should be on the altar, or even if there should be candles on the altar, or flowers on the altar, or anything else for that matter, or any number of things that we routinely take part in. And moreover, as it said there, uh, to, not to, be, to not have quarreling, sometimes there are even quarrels over these issues, right? Of which are not even mentioned in Scripture, in the New Testament. But what it does tell us to do, what it does tell us to do is what? To make disciples of Jesus. To tell about God's love. To love God and to love our neighbors. 
clearly tells us to do that. We can all do that. And again, as Paul does here in Romans chapter 13, verse 14, he says what? Put on Christ. And as we come to the altar this morning, as we enter Advent today, as we prepare for the coming of the Lord, and whether that coming of the Lord is a celebration again of the birth of our Lord and Savior, or whether that coming of the Lord is the day that the trumpet will sound and the Lord will descend here, we still need to rise and shine to prepare for it and awaken for it. So as you come to the altar, I just want you to think about a few things that Jesus said, which I think pertain to putting on Christ and being a disciple of Jesus. After all, a disciple of Jesus is simply somebody who does what Jesus did. It's not complicated. He said what? Among other things, he said, don't be afraid of those who can only kill the body but can't kill the soul. He said, if you want to be like him, always give people who need it a drink of cool water or even give a child a drink of cool water. He said, don't swear. He said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Don't try and manipulate people with your, your conversation. That's what Jesus was saying. And he was saying, be true to your word if you want to put on Christ and be like Jesus. And he said, what? He said, you should love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you and despitefully use you. You know what? If we did that, if we did that, if we put on Jesus, if we did those things he was doing, we would see peace on earth. We would see the kingdom of God made manifest for all of us. So this morning, as we share in the Lord's Supper, as we remember the Lord and what he did, I want you to ask yourself, what time is it? And as you come to the table, I want you to remember, it's time to rise and shine.